Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending December 8th, 2023. I'm Kim Hollis, who somehow found the biggest stuffed stitch ever, and I love it. With me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer, who would like to announce he is not signing Shohei Otani. You really can't afford him, I don't think. Yeah, I actually wrote that in- intro literally like minutes before the news broke that he actually signed. But, you know, I had thought my $20 offer was competitive, but he chose to go in a different direction. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who wishes everyone a happy Hanukkah and is asking Shohei Otani for a small loan. $700 million? $700 million? The Dodgers as a team <laughs> sold for $420 million in 2004. What is happening? <laughs> And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's going to be very positive today. Uh, Have you guys heard of this COVID thing? Man, it sucks. Two out of five stars. Do not recommend. Swear jar. Oh, that was better than my rating. I was going to give it a little room. Okay. (laughs) This seems like a good time to remind everyone that out of the four of us, only Tim is an essential worker. These podcasts do not edit themselves. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we're doing the speed round again. David's doctor said he'll be just fine. Uh, I don't think my doctor said... So let's get started. Warner Brothers Discovery has signed an exclusivity deal with A24, bringing the Art House Studios movies to HBO and Max. For a studio so determined to undermine their own productions, paying a small studio to license their content for a short period of time is not a surprise. It's a small sum of money for short-term gain that may boost their subscriber numbers, but is not going to really have any lasting impact impact on them. Here's the business strategy we're watching summarized. Hey, Netflix has licensed all our best content. What's the cheapest replacement we can find? The real loser here? Max subscribers. Warner Brothers Discovery's most important business right now? Max subscribers. It's Maximum Zaslav or Max Zaz. Seriously, what we're watching here is they have better content that they could give to Max subscribers, but they will make more money if they license it to Netflix to its subscribers. So they've turned around and replaced it with cheap A24 stuff for Mac subscribers. That's what you're paying for when you sign up for Macs to be treated this badly. So how long till he turns around and just licenses the A24 stuff to, to Netflix as well? <laughs> just I was for, just for the money. That. Yes. Is that allowed? Can you sub like license things? Like I don't know, how does this work? But I'm sure he's going to try. The streaming bundle arrived this week much more abruptly than anyone expected, as Verizon started offering the ad-supported tiers of Netflix and Max combined for only $10 a month. Verizon also offers the ad-supported Disney bundle for $10 a month. So there you have it. Five streaming services for only $20 a month. It's important to note, none of this was because of any progress on partnerships between the streamers. This is Verizon trying to drum up subscribers to their mobile service and cutting deals with the streamers for a preferred rate. It's also not altogether unprecedented. I recently mentioned how I got the premium version of Netflix for 12 months through Verizon for free by signing up for stars at a deep discount. I thought I'd only be watching the Netflix half of that deal, but in recent weeks, I watched John Wick Chapter 4, The Northman, and Joyride on Stars, so I'm definitely getting my money's worth. And also, I noticed today that you can sign up for Paramount Plus on Verizon and get Netflix Premium for free 
for 12 months. Verizon's trying really hard to turn you into a subscriber. We're going to see more of this, and it's got nothing to do with the expected consolidation or bundling as a business move for these streaming services. Instead, it's an acknowledgement that broadband subscriber numbers are falling. So services like Verizon, like Comcast, want to entice people to join or stay with their services. Not coincidentally, Comcast also announced its annual rate increases this week for the same reason. With fewer customers, the only way they can maintain their current revenue and grow is making customers pay more. To get them to do that, that they need incentives like Netflix. As always, the big winner here is Netflix. We're seeing mixed signals in terms of the future of linear TV this week as Disney's Freeform canceled the last of their scripted original programming, while Universal's USA Network indicated they were looking to return to their Blue Skies era that brought us scripted shows such as Monk, Burn Notice, and Suits. Suits? Never heard of it. I mean, you can tell which company had suits out of the two, can't you? We talked about this throughout the summer, as we noted that visionary Bonnie Hammer created a powerhouse at USA Network through her happy, serialized dramas. They were sunny. They were outdoors. Everyone was likable. You wanted to be their friends. You wanted to spend more time with them. Now the company is going back to that proven formula that it inexplicably dropped because, hey, suits has just dominated Nielsen ratings for the body of four months. Meanwhile, Disney is getting that much closer to giving up the ghost with Freeform, which is eventually just going to be nothing but television reruns and movie repeats, which, by the way, there's a precedent for that. We called it TBS in the 1980s. Okay, before we move to the ratings, I think we have a little bit of an interesting box office story this week. Uh, I guess that's the word for it. Our top movie this weekend is The Boy and the Heron, earning $5.5 million, which is not great in and of itself, but it's pretty notable considering it's, what, a Japanese movie? A Japanese animated film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how bad things are at the box office right now. Is I mean, granted, this has a tremendous pedigree because it's a Miyazaki film, but yeah, that's the state of box office right now because uh, things are things are pretty bad. And then you know, last weekend's top movie, Godzilla minus one, uh, should end up third this weekend. So yeah, there there you have it. Two Japanese films topping the American box office. I love hearing Tim's condescension towards Miyazaki animated classics, while I can hear Kim's eye twitching with fury. <laughs> I just while while Kim has my neighbor Totoro playing in the background. I, I just say I just I I just made Kim's list, but I didn't mean it like that. I'm just saying it's. I it, know this is a box office yes. triumph for a Miyazaki film. It mm-hmm. absolutely is, and it's an indictment of the same thing we've been indicting for you know multiple years now. Box office just hasn't come back. Everyone keeps saying, but it will, but it will, but it will, and then that can just keeps getting kicked down the road further and further, and we have things like this. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, the rest of December is shaping up glum. And when you start looking for hope, I mean, it is hard to find anything that will really get you excited until March of next year, May of next year, July of next year. This is going to keep happening. And that's why these little niche products become viable, where suddenly a Miyazaki film is everyone knows it's going to be good and watchable. So it becomes a decent box office performer. Yeah, the upcoming schedule, especially for the holiday season, does not seem all that exciting relative to recent years. 
sure we do have Wonka next week, but then after that, what's going to carry Christmas? Is it really going to be Aquaman? I mean, we've seen what's happened to Marvel films. I'd hate to think it's going to happen to a DC movie. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the ratings then. Yeah, because that's how bad box office is going right now. So yeah, we have the Nielsen Street ratings for Monday, November 6th to Sunday, November 12th, 2023. And topping originals, here we have Loki, 12 episodes, 753 million minutes. Not a great number to top the originals charts. We've certainly seen much better, but that is a big jump for the season finale of Loki season two. Those last two or three episodes of Loki are just phenomenal. The whole second season of Loki was phenomenal. And I'll say it again, it's the best thing that the MCU has ever put out. Yeah, by all accounts, Loki just absolutely killed it. And hey, wait, what what came out in theaters this this week that we have the ratings for? Nothing. Not, nothing? Not, not something called the Marvels that became the worst performing Marvel movie of all time? Tim, if the Marvels would come out, Disney would still be reporting box office for it, right? But they're not, so obviously. <laughs> oh, okay, right. They've, they've ended doing that. So yes, it, it did not exist. Correct. How silly of me. <laughs> I said it on the Saturday of the podcast afterward. I still feel strongly about it. One of Disney's worst mistakes of this year, and really since the start of the pandemic, was having the Marvels and Loki come out at the same time because they negated each other. What we've got is two titles that come out at the same time, and everybody is too busy talking about the failures of the Marvels to actually fixate on what a stunning triumph Loki is. There was no need for that. This was an unforced error by Disney. And second is the show that topped the original chart last week, All the Light We Cannot See from Netflix, 744 million minutes for four episodes. While Selling Sunset from Netflix is up to third, 709 million minutes for 67 total oh. episodes, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, these people are all terrible. And yet people watch this show. Yeah, Selling Sunset doubled its number from the week before, while All the Light We Cannot See basically held at the same number. So that tells you just which of those shows is finding its audience and which of those Netflix shouldn't have spent any money on because reality programming about real estate agents is a lot cheaper. Yeah, this was the first full week of the seventh, yes, seventh season of this, this show. So that explains the big jump. In less terrible news, The Great British Baking Show, adding episodes weekly, 436 million minutes. So a big drop from the top three, but 92 total episodes for that one. While new in fifth, Escaping Twin Flames, 404 million minutes for three episodes. I don't know that we discussed that one. This series explores the world of Twin Flames Universe, a cult run by Shahila and Jeff Devine, featuring interviews with former members exploring allegations of coercive control, indoctrination, and abuse. Yeah, we discussed it. Mm. Mm. Do better, people. They keep making these things because you keep watching them. And yes, there's a lot of monsters out there, but we don't need to, like, you know, put them in movies. Meanwhile, Apple TV Plus is The Morning Show, 373 million minutes, 30 episodes, wrapping up the third season on November 8th. Is this just a virtue of it having more episodes and therefore being friendlier to the Nielsen's or did the third season just get a lot better? I think it's a combination of things. With this level of star power, there was always curiosity in it. Word got out during the pandemic, the first season wasn't that good and was kind of depressing. But now season two kind of turned the ship around and season three has been up by all accounts, you know, an Emmy nominee type of series where, you know, it's plenty good enough that if you've got an Apple subscription, you should be watching it. It's got, you know, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, why wouldn't you watch it? So I think that it's just a nice combination of things. And yeah, having a much deeper catalog of 30 episodes definitely helps. 
And based on this, I don't expect to see it again from there as what happens with shows that have been finishing their seasons lately. But this one will have a season four, unlike, say, Ted Lasso. So we will see it again at some point, I'm sure. Life on Our Planet has been here before. 363 million minutes for eight episodes. While The Fall of the House of Usher, a previous top original series. 339 million minutes for eight episodes. And also with eight episodes in ninth place, Blue Eye Samurai from Netflix. 315 million minutes. Great show. I'm glad to see it on the list. Oh, okay. I'm trying to recall if we talked about it or if anyone was familiar with it. Oh, yeah. We definitely talked about it. It's an animated show. Mm -hmm. It is set in feudal Japan, although it is an American animation. Great voice cast. Very, very adult. It's not for the kids. And we wrap up Originals this week with a Paramount Plus show, Lawman Bass Reeves, 290 million minutes for three episodes. I'm pretty sure I saw Lawman Bass Reeves feud with the Von Erics in World Class Championship Wrestling in the 1980s. Do I have that right? <laughs> oh, will he, will he be in the Iron Claw movie? <laughs> he might. That's right. Okay. This is just further proof that we have built kind of a Yellowstone type of audience where if you tell a certain kind of story to the Paramount crowd, they're going to absolutely eat it up. And God knows that the marketing has been there for this project, hasn't it? Yeah, they have been slamming the marketing on this. If you watch the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which is probably the most watched of the Grand Prix Formula One races in the United States. If you watch that on ESPN, the ads on the billboards everywhere in Las Vegas were all for Lawman Bass Reeves. Heck, they had Lawman Bass Reeves on the sphere in Las Vegas during that Grand Prix. They really wanted you to watch that. And also they were clearly targeting that dad demographic that also watched watches car racing, they knew what they were doing. There is a chance based on its release schedule that this hangs around, at least in the lower portion of the original chart during its release. It arrived November 5th with its first two episodes, and then episodes are arriving weekly through mid-December on Sundays. So they, they get the benefit of the whole week. So this actually doesn't really reflect much of the, the third episode that came on November 12th. So a chance we, we see it stick around. And good. I'm like I've said a million times, I'm always happy when we see non-Netflix shows on, on here, especially things from like say Paramount Plus or Peacock. Movies is topped by The Killer, 650 million minutes for the David Fincher film that arrived on November 10th. So just a weekend number. So that's pretty good. My parents said they like this. If they hadn't watched it, I probably would have watched it with them over the holidays when I was there at their house for Thanksgiving. But they said they had and, and they enjoyed it. Not a great number, but again, only three days. So chance we do see it go higher next week. While Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, 597 million minutes. That one I did watch over Thanksgiving, much to their dismay. It looks to have already peaked on the charts, which kind of surprises me. I will say that. It's really hard to judge some of these things because it was really successful in theaters. And then this is the definitely type of movie that plays much better in a theater than, say, on home viewing, unless you have a absolutely gargantuan television just from its visual style. So I'm, I'm not terribly surprised. And perhaps it does gear more towards second screen viewing, which also does, is not counted in these ratings. Yeah, that's a fair point. New in third is a theatrical release from earlier this year, Insidious The Red Door, 441 million minutes, the latest in that franchise that was in theaters in July and then showed up on Netflix. Netflix during this ratings week. This is a franchise that will not die. It has multiple films and spinoffs at this point. They are dirt cheap to make, budgeted 16 million, apparently made 190 million worldwide. So there will always be more Insidious movies. Okay, so in fourth, after we were very puzzled as to the lack of Halloween movies outside of The Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, as soon as we flip the calendar to November, here's Home Alone from Disney Plus, 422 million minutes. So first week of November and people are already going hard on the Christmas movies. These are my people. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have another one coming up. We we don't have the usual winner, but there's still plenty of time for Elf to show up in these ratings, which yeah, I'm, I'm sure Elf wasn't going to show. Elf wasn't going to show up yet, and the reason why it got a 24 hour loop on Thanksgiving, and I presume that it's going to need until the start of December for that reason. Yeah, and also I will just note that Home Alone has had a tile on the Roku, so. That could be what's leading people to jump over and watch. What year is it? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Elemental, also from Disney Plus, is fifth, 352 million minutes, continuing its gradual slide down the chart, and we are here for it. While Netflix's Minions is in six, 280 million minutes, and No Hard Feelings, also from Netflix, 258 million minutes after topping the movies a couple weeks ago. I do want to mention, it seems like we've kind of got a Despicable Me phenomenon happening, just the same as the Disney movies we reference, like Moana and Frozen, where it seems like whenever a Despicable Me franchise title is away from Netflix for a while, when it comes back, it gets that immediate renewed interest as Netflix hypes it again. And that seems to be enough to bump it on the list. And I just think that's a fascinating little phenomenon. I wouldn't be surprised if they advertise it whenever it comes back. And yeah, that always contributes to either Minions or Despicable Me movie. Yeah, showing back up on, on the chart. And the, the hot potato with these franchises between the, the studios is just fascinating. And as we've often said, it's clearly a licensing nightmare. Our other holiday movie is 8th. As for the bottom of the movie's chart, everything is coming up Peacock. As here is The Grinch from 2018, 251 million minutes. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie is 9th, 249 million minutes. It's probably going to fall off after this week, but give it about three weeks till we hit the beginning of December. And guess what? It's now on Netflix, so that's going to shoot right back up to the top of the chart. And movies wraps up with Five Nights at Freddy's, 248 minutes, the theatrical and streaming day and date uh, success from Peacock. And let's be clear that if that was the best Five Nights at Freddy's had done, we would have been really, really impressed with that. And yet that's the worst of it so far. Yeah, this is like three weeks out. So this is a big decline from its peak, but it did very well, at least for that opening week. I mean, we've got Home Alone and The Grinch. We've got Christmas movies showing up and people are still like, or we could just watch Five Night at Freddy's again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I wanted to comment on. The fact that this is the full on week after Halloween. And yet in the originals charts, we still have The Fall of the House of Usher. In the movies, we have Insidious, The Red Door and Five Nights at Freddy's. We've got Halloween programming mixing with Christmas programming here. Yeah, Insidious actually arrived on the 4th. So it was a new to Netflix movie. It wasn't there for Halloween, which they probably should have put it on a week earlier and it would have absolutely crushed it. But that's kind of why, why it's here. And it was a theatrical release from earlier this year as well. But yeah, Five Nights at Freddy's. Any way you cut it was an absolute smash for Universal. Acquired is eight shows we have seen before, led by this time Bluey, 918 million minutes. But Disney had the top original and acquired series. Bluey was the top overall show, too. This wasn't like a great week to win or anything. It's kind of no. similar to what we're seeing with the box office. But Bluey, you look at it and then you look at Coco Melon and you realize one is rising and the other one seems to have peaked and is starting to make its elemental-like gradual descent. It's still a very soft and impressive descent, but it is definitely slipping in at performance. Bluey, way up for no apparent reason. I guess parents were just like, it's Christmas. We're putting up the lights. Turn on your show and leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, Coco Melon is still here, all the way down to eighth, 630 million minutes. But I wonder if at this point, that's driven enough parents insane to where they're just like, okay, fine, at least we kind of get something out of Bluey rather than Coco Melon. I mean, they are slightly different audiences. Bluey's a little older than what Coco Melon's aimed at. But yeah, it is interesting to see how Bluey has grown and Coco Melon has kind of just plateaued slash declined over time. Are we going to raise an entire generation of kids with a slight Australian accent that no one understands? <laughs> 
<laughs> Our two new shows this week are Six Feet Under, which is sixth, credited to Max and Netflix, 692 million minutes, 63 episodes. Yes, Max makes sense because this was a show that originally aired on HBO. But guess what? On November 1st, Zaslav personally licensed it to Netflix. I love it. I love that Netflix will look at the collection and say, which obscure HBO series are we going to make a hit now just to prove our point? Does Aslov just like sit outside the Netflix offices with the 10 cup in his hand going, please, may I have a quarter? May I have a quarter? <laughs> Seriously, nobody bent the knee this much on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Our other new show that we have not seen before is Ninth Place Face Off, credited to Netflix and Peacock, 576 million minutes for 89 episodes. Peacock makes sense as this is the prosthetic makeup artist competition show that you, you know, the type of things you would make for you know, sci fi and horror. Sci-fi, right? Yeah. Correct. It's a sci-fi series, so that makes sense being a universal property that it's on Peacock. But as of November 7th, it's now on Netflix. So basically, if we look at this analytically, Disney had a good week. Peacock had a really good week. And then Netflix has just basically become the one that everyone else is just in awe of and begging to get scraps from. Is that a fair assessment? Pretty much. Yeah, this this is just Netflix just saying, whatever you got, we will crush you. What is the short term hope for Max when you see things like this, where it's just licensing its best content elsewhere and we're not seeing any of its new titles or even old titles on this list for the most part? I have no idea at this point, and I hate to make this kind of joke, but their best performing show for the last couple of weeks is Friends, and we know why. So it's like, what are people watching on this service? And it's next to nothing. They don't even have a movie. Yeah. They don't have a TV show. Yeah, I was going to go there with Friends. The fact that the show most likely to do very well on Max over the last couple of weeks in this ratings was Friends because of the tragedy with Matthew Perry. And still... This week, 716 million minutes behind Suits, Grey's Anatomy, and Bluey. And everything else is just it being propped up by, you know, its content airing elsewhere. And you just look at this, and I think about Bob Iger talking about no-growth businesses. There's only one growth business for Warner Brothers Discovery if they're doing this right, and that's their streaming service. That is Max, and yet they have positioned it as a no-growth business. It's maddening. Yeah, David, you have to consider all the people who are going to watch Max now for the A24 movies. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. And now for a bunch of green lights and cancellations. Apple TV Plus has canceled Swagger after two seasons. Apple TV Plus has also canceled the animated series Central Park after three seasons. It's got the same animated style as Bob's Burgers, I believe, with a pretty impressive all-star cast. The news of the cancellation came from Josh Gad, who said that the series would not be moving past season three. But uh, I assume no one was coming to Apple TV Plus to watch this. Hot off the success of Gen V, Amazon has announced another spinoff from The Boys, this time set in Mexico. Ninos. <laughs> Amazon has also indicated that they've renewed the Jeremy Clarkson reality show, Clarkson's Farm, for a fourth season. Whoa, would have lost that bet. Whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazon got in bed with the former presenters of Top Gear after Clarkson was fired from the show for, um, checking my notes, being an a**hole. They Where'd produced... <laughs> 
they produced the Grand Tour and picked up Clarkson's show where he pretended to care about being a farmer. And yet, through it all, more stories emerged about how much of a jerk Clarkson was. Evidently, ratings mean more to Amazon than the character of the people they work with. This stings all the more as the BBC's constant attempts to revitalize Top Gear without the original hosts has now come to an end and the program has been shelved by the broadcaster for the foreseeable future. Disney is kind of going through the same thing right now with Tim Allen. There was just an article in the trades this week about how Casey Wilson found him absolutely unsufferable on the set of the Santa Clauses. She quickly realized that he is just a terrible human being, which is the recurring theme about Tim Allen. However, the world loves Tim Allen and wants to keep watching him. The same thing applies to Jeremy Clarkson. Once the world likes a person, it is really hard, whether they're theoretically canceled or not, to make people stop supporting their products. And that's where Amazon is with this. And after what happened last year, I have to say, I am really surprised by this turn of events. In a show of confidence, Amazon has renewed Reacher for a third season, even before season two premieres. I assume Reacher punched a bunch of people until he got his renewal. I don't Sounds about this right. This was a big surprise. They probably needed something after Jack Ryan and ended as their, their big action series, and this clearly is it. The Leverage reboot, Leverage Redemption, has been renewed for a third season and is moving from Freebie to Prime Video. Woo-hoo! Hey, no ads. Yes. No, because beginning in the new year, Prime Video is going to have ads. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we have Amazon Freebie again? Exactly. It begs the question as to why we have Amazon Freebie. But the truth is, Amazon Freebie is well and truly free. And for Prime Video, even with ads, you'd have to be a Amazon Prime subscriber. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other thing about this that's really great is it's going to have the original creative team back, including John Rogers as the showrunner. He is the genius behind some of the best episodes of Leverage. And just generally speaking, he is one of the most gifted storytellers on the planet. And I've actually enjoyed his political commentary. I mean, he can think like a convict and he can immediately say, here's the flaw with what you're saying and doing. And that actually made his insights invaluable when a previous president was doing some absolutely ridiculous stuff. John Rogers is a genius. This show has some incredible talents on it, and it never should have been banished to freebie. It should have been on Amazon all along, and it should have been championed. I think it's important to note that Amazon seems to be losing interest in the relevance of freebie, especially as they're moving towards putting ads on Prime Video. You'll recall that the next Bosch spinoff is likely to go to Prime Video, even though the current Bosch spinoff is on freebie. Amazon's just going to put everything on Prime Video shortly, and freebie will soon be an afterthought. And as a reminder, for $2.99 a month, current Prime members can get rid of ads, which means you will not have to watch either of these shows with ads unless you want. It's your choice whether you want your $3 or whether you would rather skip the ads. But we're watching the entire streaming industry move toward the point we've been predicting for, I don't know, three years now where they've all figured out the math of this and the math says the money is in the advertising. As someone who works in advertising, I say... Of course it has. Amazon has renewed Harlem for a third season. And Amazon has picked up the long gestating series based on 1999's Cruel Intentions, the young adult adaptation of Dangerous Liaisons. Are you for real? A lot of people clamoring for that then? (laughs) (laughs) 
with the actor strike over, Hulu was finally able to announce the rest of the cast of their upcoming Noah Hawley Alien series. The big news was that Justified's Timothy Oliphant has joined. That is great news. I love Timothy Oliphant from everything. Mm-hmm. He's the cast announcements they made during the actor strike were a little anemic. It was a bunch of unknown actors, presumably actors who didn't yet have their SAG cards. But now that the strike's over, of course, the big names come out. Yeah, we've talked about this from time to time, how Disney's new business model is they want to find actors they find professional, and then they're just going to recycle them from series to series, franchise to franchise. In the case of Timothy Oliphant, you know, he's been stealing scenes on The Mandalorian. Everyone loves him. Everyone knows him from Justified. He's now free after Justified City Primeval. So he can go from what was an FX series to now an upcoming Disney series of Alien. And it's just masterful casting because Timothy Oliphant is his good as it gets. Yep, he's one of my favorites, and he's also worked with Holly previously on Fargo. And it's been reported that Ryan Murphy had such a good time working with Kim Kardashian on a past season of American Horror Story that he's reteaming with her for a legal drama series coming to Hulu. All right. First, I'm going to put this out there. Kim Kardashian is actually studying to be a lawyer. Okay. Now, I'm going to quote the article from Deadline here. Looking to keep Kardashian and Jenner, that's her sister, in the fold, Hulu bought the pitch in the room, committing to what some sources say is a straight-to-series order. I mean, it sounds like they could have just done a reality show take on Legally Blonde with her becoming a lawyer, doesn't it? God damn it, David. Hulu's on the phone for you. Swear jar. Yeah, as a reminder, this week was a huge deal for Disney. We haven't really covered it yet, but they have now added the Hulu tile to Disney Plus. If you pull up Disney Plus today, if you're a subscriber to Hulu, you can go ahead and start watching Hulu content directly on Disney Plus. They have a recommended list of like what they consider the best 15 titles on the Hulu tile. And one of those is God help us all, the Kardashians. So this is Disney and Hulu just basically making sure to keep that license, keep that relationship. And, you know, we've also had the thing where Ryan Murphy only recently came back. So they want to keep him happy as well. So this is one of those, what do we got to do to keep the talent happy type of deals? If it only gets one season, that won't surprise anyone. If it turns into a hit because of the recognition of the people involved, that won't be a surprise either. It's a low level gamble. Netflix has renewed the Michael Epps and Kim Fields show, The Upshaws, for a fourth season. Four seasons. This show must be the most profitable series in Netflix history. For those who have never watched it, it is a multi-camera family sitcom. These are not high production value programs. Then they can pump out bunches of episodes every year. So not necessarily a surprise, but after three seasons, you expect that the salaries would go up. They're going with it, so... They must be happy with the numbers they're getting. Netflix has also renewed their Squid Game reality spinoff, Squid Game The Challenge, just as the first season was wrapping up. Hopefully they pay the winner this time. Uh, They uh, apparently wrapped season one in February and the winner hasn't been paid yet. I love everything about that story because it reinforces the joke we've been making for years where, you know, Netflix reality shows generally pay like $20,000. This one offered, I want to say, $4 million. So, of course, they're not in a hurry to write that check. I will point out, as funny as it is, this is apparently a standard procedure, especially for 
game shows slash reality shows where the winner will actually get their payment approximately 30 days after the the show premieres. So that's why they haven't paid them yet. I choose to believe that the game hasn't actually ended yet and she doesn't realize one of the other people survived and they'll yet kill her. So that's the way I'm looking at it. Oh, okay. Oh, season two. Okay, cool. Thus the renewal. And Adam McKay's next project at Netflix, Average Height, Average Build, has been scrapped. Netflix had signed on to McKay's serial killer satire set to star Robert Pattinson, Amy Adams, and Robert Downey Jr. McKay had directed Don't Look Up for Netflix, and the streamer was looking for another high-profile project with this one. But things seem to have fallen apart, and McKay's moving on to an untitled climate change project instead. As we always do, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I did see The Boy and the Heron. I love Hayao Miyazaki and all of his films. And this has been billed as the final one that he will direct. But I could see him coming back with another surprise if the right story developed in his eternally brilliant mind. I'm not going to try to describe the film, but it is gorgeous. The landscapes are gorgeously rendered, reminding me of a painting while the characters are vivid and colorful. The movie itself is a treatise on grief, creativity, existentialism, and hope. And I really do look forward to rewatching it often when it makes its way to streaming, as I do all of his films. Raul, how about you? Well, being under the weather, I've had the opportunity to sit at home and watch a lot. I wrapped up the latest season of Great British Baking Show, which had a very satisfying finale. And I was also excited to see the new season of the show's holiday specials before I even knew that Sir Tony Robinson was going to be one of the guest bakers. Of course, the holiday specials were recorded maybe 18 months ago and aired in the UK last holiday season. But these specials came to Netflix just this past week. I watched the R-rated comedy Joyride on Stars, which was the laziest paint-by-numbers buddy comedy I've seen in a while, and followed that up with 2022's The Northman, which I hated. Even Anya Taylor-Joy couldn't save it. And I finally caught up on The Witcher. The drop in quality for this show from season one to season three is remarkable. Season one was a revelation of fantasy adventure drenched in sex and violence. Season two eliminated almost everything that made season one entertaining. And by season three, the show had become aggressively boring. There are definitely layers of intrigue and politics that suggest they're trying to be Game of Thrones, but the exposition is so light, it's hard to tell who's doing what, what their motivations are, and why we should care. I'd quit The Witcher right now, except I'm curious to see how they handle the recasting of the lead with Henry Cavill leaving the show being replaced by Liam Hemsworth. Don't watch The Witcher, go watch The Great British Baking Show instead. Okay. And with Tony Robinson there, I may watch at least one episode. Tim, how about you? All right. So buckle up. I have definitely talked about some weird stuff on this podcast. And of course, I have a ridiculous backlog of shows I need to catch up on and a shiny new Christmas present courtesy of David and Kim. Thank you very much. You guys are the best. But I'm going to top everything I've ever mentioned previously by talking about a four hour YouTube video. And minute one... No, I'm kidding. Uh, but it's still it's still a YouTube video. Uh, H Bomber Guy is a YouTuber that I've heard of, but never viewed his content. In fact, I think I knew him more for a meme than his YouTube. But anyway, he's known for long-form video essays addressing various topics. Last week, he dropped a video, his first in over a year, about how rampant plagiarism is among YouTube, especially among those in the video essay genre. H Bomb takes us through a few examples of recently discovered plagiarism from an IGN editor who lifted entire reviews from smaller creators and niche sites and was fired to an 
extremely prolific YouTuber who lifted entire parts of Netflix documentaries by simply reciting the script and paraphrasing quotes and also stealing the visuals just by slapping a filter on top of it to avoid the copyright bots. To a very popular video from last year with the script that was stolen nearly entirely word for word from an online magazine article. The video then spends a really long time calling out one specific YouTube essayist who has been called out for plagiarism in videos in the past, not by him, but by other people, but simply brush it off as forgetting to provide attribution and would re-upload the video with credit hastily added in the description, or maybe a special thanks at the end of the video without saying that he was copying their material whole hog. I had not heard of him before, but he was apparently well known in the community for his genre of video essays on film and television. What he's been doing for years with the receipts by H. Guy is straight up reading excerpts from entire books, articles, and essays with minor word changes and without citing his sources. One video takes paragraphs from 20 different sources, again, without crediting them. Another video has even found him straight up to be reading Wikipedia. And he had a fairly successful YouTube channel and Patreon. People paid him money to read Wikipedia. The more you watch this video, the more you realize this guy really freaking sucks. I don't know what exactly what made me click on this video. I saw it on my social media, and especially since it really runs for four hours, but I started it, and before I knew it, two hours had gone by, and I'm definitely glad I watched it. As all of us on this podcast did or still do a considerable amount of written content creation well before it was even called that, the idea of having your work stolen without credit by someone who's then monetizing it is incredibly infuriating. In the aftermath, the story so far does have a happy ending, as the main offender featured in this video appears to have nuked his online footprint from existence over being called out with this video and a few other people saying, yeah, we knew this guy was stealing for years, but he had his fans defending him, so it was difficult to take him on before this video actually dropped. While I've said this video is infuriating, it's also very funny. This is not H. Rammer Guy's first video rodeo. He's very good at what he does. The medium of YouTube in general is still the Wild West, and we know there aren't any original ideas anymore, especially on YouTube, and I'm glad to see a notable creator taking a stand with this. I do recommend you actually find the time to watch this video at some point, and I am absolutely never going to find something as ridiculous as this to talk about ever again. Tim, I'm really grateful that you mentioned this one. Shockingly, long-form YouTube content is something I spend way too much time watching. There was a two-part multi-hour documentary on YouTube I watched recently about the fall of Nortel. Yes, Nortel. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm actually deep into this type of content. I've just pulled up the video you mentioned, so I will be watching this shortly. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'd love to hear what you think about it. All right. And David, how about you? I too watched The Boy and the Heron and I rode in a car for 20 minutes after with Kim and I don't once remember her talking about a treatise on grief, creativity and existentialism and hope. Instead, she was dead silent the entire time as she processed a film whose story is frankly absolutely impossible to encapsulate. But The Parrot King was cool. I also have been watching something that literally everyone can watch. It's called Stupid Wife. It is a series that's in Spanish that's available with English subtitles for free on YouTube. It's basically a telenova. And the concept of it is one that I really, really was engaged with. Basically, a woman is in college and she has a classmate she absolutely hates. And then just one day she kind of passes out and wakes up and it's 10 years later and she has married this woman and they have a child and she has no memory of the past their relationship together or anything like that. It is a kind of amnesia story and she has to decide whether 
or not she wants to remain married to this woman who she hated when she was 20. But there's also that thing of that person is the instantly the most dislikable person I've ever met, which is really a way of saying they give me feelings I cannot process, so I must dislike them. It is a really good telenova, and I have about 20 minutes left in the season finale, but they actually went ahead and did multiple seasons. The show only came out in 2022, and it's already through three seasons, so it was wildly popular from day one, and I get it. I'm pretty hooked. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week.